quintessential podcast rolls into August. It's a PLL edition. We welcome in Jim Stagnita, the head coach of the Whip Snakes, currently seven and one, uh, two-time champs of the league. Will head out to Salt Lake City. They'll play on Friday night in the first game on ESPN Plus against the Atlas. That game will be followed by the Water Dogs and Redwoods. Saturday's action continues uh, with two more games. Everything's on ESPN Plus this weekend, Coach. Uh, how was the trip to Denver? It was great. Um... I mean, it's always nice to be back there. And I, I had the opportunity to coach there for uh, uh, for a few years with the with the Outlaws, and um, the great experience out there it was a great organization. The fans were terrific. Uh, it's always great to see Billy Tierney, you know, a longtime friend. Uh, the facility was great. The crowd. Um, it was it was a great overall. Clint, it was a really good experience. I'm yeah, I, I, wa- I watched. I watched. It's always good to get a win, uh, and, you, and you guys certainly uh, know how to win. But you go back to your experience uh, for for the Denver Outlaws and the MLL, and you you have coached uh, as an assistant in college, as a head coach for for ten years at Rutgers, as a pro in both leagues. Uh, I think you know for lower some lower level college and maybe even some high school experience. How, how does this job compare to those other coaching experiences? Uh, well, I have coached at every level. I, I, it was a WNL for 12 years, too. It was my first head job. Um, and, you know, in some ways, they're very similar. Uh, and in some ways, uh, you know, they're different. But, um, you know, I think this job is has probably uh, made me the best version of kind of myself as a coach. I've continued to kind of grow and evolve through all of these. Um, when I came to the Pro League initially, when Tony brought me into Denver, uh, I certainly wasn't as familiar and it, and it wasn't, you know, it certainly wasn't at the level um, that it is now. Uh, but when I came in, I remember just, you know, saying to Tony directly, look, Tony, I'm not coming, you know, if you want me to do this, I want to be able to do what, what, you know, what I feel like I do best. I want to coach. All right. I don't want to run a box and, and just hand it, handle manage personalities. You know, I truly want to have an impact and see if I can't make the team and these guys better, even though they're, you know, they're at the top of their game and at the top of their sport. And, you know, I did find that very much like college, but on a more um, kind of subtle way, uh, you know, you do have the opportunity to have an impact. And to me at this level, um, you know, considering how little time you get to spend with them, a lot of it is about the culture of, of your team and how you're able to put your team together. And I have found, Quinn, and again, you've played at a very high level, you know, and, and I remember, you know, going from college to, to playing club lacrosse. Um, these guys want to be coached. They want to get better. Um, and if if they think that you have their best interests in mind, and if you think, and if they think that um, that you really care and they have a level of respect for you, they, they will listen and they will do the things that you ask them to do. And I think we've, you know, to some extent has shown that both when I was in Denver and, and here with the Whipsnakes. How does that differ from when you were at WNL and, and at Rutgers? Uh, are, are the relationships different? Is does the paycheck command uh, behavior and, and command performance, or you know, like what's the difference between develop recruiting, developing, and trying to get the most out of out of the Scarlet Knights versus with what you're dealing with now with the Whipsnakes? Yeah, I mean they are different in 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 ways, right? So. Um, and, and remember back when I was at Denver and with Charlotte, the, the paycheck wasn't such that, you know, it demanded the, the type of 
effort and, and commitment that the guys are putting in right now. This has changed the whole landscape the PLL has. Um, but that being said, you know, as a college coach, you, you, you know, and again, I, I've grown so much as, as I think as, as a leader, um, I do it for a living right now, uh, working with teams and in corporations. And I've, uh, you know, my partner is, is, is certainly helped me to, you know, continue to develop, but you know, the, the communication, um, the give and take, uh, is, is different at this level. Uh, you know, in college, you, you kind of, you know, and again, I, I was younger also, you, you, you know, you're kind of telling people what to do and, and you're, you know, you're directing them. Um, you know, at, at this level, it, it, it's more of a, um, you know, like I said, it's a give and take where I, I really do want to hear their input. Um, they have, you know, they, they, uh, these guys have played the game for a long time. Many of them are college coaches, right. In, in, in club coaches. So there is a little bit of a, a balance in, in, in how much in, in when you can take uh, input and when and when you have to make a decision. Um, but again, communication and culture, I, I think, are the, are the two things that you always want to have a culture in college with your team, uh, certainly. Um, but I think the level of communication, how you communicate and how you interact with these, these are men, right? These are professionals and they're men. They go to work every day. They have, um, they have responsibilities. Some of them have families. Uh, just kind of a different point in their career, in their life than, than it would be with a college. You know, with the college guys, you, you're kind of still developing them as people. Um, and there's still that part of it, right? With these guys, you know, they're, while they can, we can all still continue to evolve and develop, um, they've been there, they've seen things, they've been in these positions. And, um, you know, you have to respect that and, uh, and, and understand that, you know, and, and their voices need to be heard to an extent. Yeah, you mentioned that give and take, the communication, and one of the, the benefits of our coverage is being down in the field and in those huddles. And you can hear at times it's a little bit of a democracy, but your Whipsnakes huddles, you are in charge, and, that, and that's perfectly clear. You're making the final decisions. You're making the calls uh, when, when the games matter. How do you balance that, that knowledge from a guy like Mike Janichuk, that experience from a guy like Matt Rambo, uh, take all that in, and, and, and then step forward and say, no, that we need to do this. So one of the things I learned early in this, and, and I did this in college, because one of the things I, it, it, it you know, it, it was, it was physically painful to have to make decisions sometimes on who was going to play, who wasn't going to play, who was going to make your team, who wasn't going to make your team. And, you know, I learned from my early experiences, both as a player um, and as a coach that, you know, I have to be honest. As much as these, these, these conversations sometimes and these calls are difficult, you know, I am always honest. And I think the guys appreciate that, even though they don't always want to hear it um, or that nobody always likes hearing it. Uh, and, and we talk about a lot of this stuff before we draft guys um, in preseason, in training camp. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate that when I came over to this league, I had Earhart, Chanichuk, Hawes, I had guys who'd already been with me and played with me and they were advocates to guys coming in like, Hey, this is who he is. This is how he is, but we've been successful. He's going to be honest. He's going to be as fair as you could ever ask. Um, so we, we set a lot of this up ahead of time and that's the culture, right? Our, our culture is, and again, I, we, I've been working with groups and culture for for six years now with my partner, JC Glick. Now, all of a sudden it's become a big, you know, a big buzzword, but it really does, you know, your culture is, is how you conduct yourself within your organization or within your team. And we kind of have those guidelines on how we're going to conduct ourselves. 
And the guys understand that. And, you know, in, in part of this too is, is how do they, you know, how do they keep each other in check and how do they monitor each other? And they do that. If, if someone, you know, if, if, which is, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate, right? If someone steps out of line or responds to something in a way that is contrary to our culture, um, the leaders on my team, the, you know, the Bernhards, the Earhart's, the Hawes's, and when John was with us, you know, Chanachuk, uh, those guys, they, they fix it, right? They say, hey, that, that's, not, that's not who we are. That's not right. So we define who we are. We try to stay to it. Um, none of us are always 100%, uh, but we learn, you know, we learn when we missed it. For, for any team, whether it's high school, college, pro, club, uh, you mentioned culture. What, what are the non-negotiables? What are, what are some of those guidelines that you adhere to? Well, I, I think the non-negotiables, you know, and it's their guidelines. And I love the fact that you said guidelines, right? Because rules, you know, rules are too hard and fast. They're always going to, there's always going to be an exception. So we do have guidelines, right? And, and, and you know, some of them are, are, are very simple, right? We, uh, we want to do what's in the best interest of the team, right? You have to put yourself aside. If we're successful, you're going to get the personal accolades, Right. Um, and, and if, and, and the rewards will come by the success of, of the whole. And there's some of the things that our guys repeat. And I love the fact that they repeat them. It's, you know, it's why, you know, Matt Rambo is, you know, is, is so special in his way, right? He, he just kind of repeats the, the guidelines all the time. We're going to hit singles, right? We're going to take the best shot, not the first shot. Um, we're going to make each other better. Uh, you know, we're going to move the ball twice when it comes off the ground. And, you know, our, our goal is to make each other better every single day. That's what leaders do. That's what the, that's, that's what the best members of a team do. If you can make your teammates better every day and in what your the decisions that you're making and how you're acting is, is in the best interest of the team. And if you can keep that, you know, if you can keep that in mind, I think that's probably the most important um, kind of non-negotiable. And it kind of covers a lot of things, right? It's a little bit vague, um, but, you know, it, it, it holds true, right? I mean, to even Matt's, you know, Matt's credit, he had a great game the other day, but he took a shot with a minute 10 left that was completely ill-advised. And he knew it right away. Um, and, you know, he, uh, he recognized it and he, you know, and he, and he, and he, uh, he owned up to it and, and he didn't have to. It was a learning experience. And Matt's, you know, Matt's been one of the best players in this league and one of the best players in the world for a long time. We can all still learn, right? We had a player who took a flag two weeks ago. And, you know, before I could even speak in the locker room, he wanted to tell the guys that he was sorry. And that was about him and it was selfish and it's not who we are and, and, and he'll learn from it. So, you know, a lot of the time that that's who we are and where we are is, you know, as a culture. Um, and I, I have a lot of individual conversations during the week. Um, sometimes there's, there's general messages, but I try to circle back with, with certain guys after, um, maybe after a game or, or, you know, just to have some conversations to, you know, to make sure they understand exactly where I'm coming from and what my expectations are of them. PLL is in uh, week nine of 10 in the regular season. Salt Lake City this weekend, they head to Seattle next. Uh, the playoffs, the quarterfinals are on September 3rd at Gillette. It's, it's, it's a long season. You start, in, you start in May, it finishes up on September 18th. Uh, there's a couple of weeks off in between. It's almost as long as an NFL season. How do you, uh, you mentioned communication. Uh, are you constantly texting, calling? Uh, you know, what, what's the best way that a modern coach can communicate 
with his players? Uh, all of the above, right? And it depends on the player and their job and their availability. But, you know, we, we Zoom uh, once a week uh, with, you know, uh, PT will lead the offensive, or excuse me, the defensive Zoom. I will take the offensive Zoom. Uh, if there is, uh, you know, every couple weeks, I'll jump on the defensive Zoom. And, and if I have to reiterate something or there's something special that I want to make sure they hear from me, um, texting, you know, pretty constantly um, and consistently, you know, kind of groups. And there's probably every week, Quint, a couple individual phone calls um, that I, you know, that I will make regarding, hey, you know, um, you know, maybe something happening during a game. And they understand during a game, I'm as competitive as they are. That's why I can still do this, I think. And I'll say sometimes, hey, you know, this is this is what you know, this is what my thought was. Maybe it wasn't expressed um, as eloquently as I would have liked to because it was in the middle of, uh, you know, of, of part of a game. But here's what my thoughts. Here's where you are or this is what I need to do better. I'm doing this this week. I have consistent conversations with my captains um, every week. I talk to Mike. I talk to Jake and I'll just kind of fill them in on some of my conversations that I'm having with players. Or uh, if we're making a change in the um, uh, in our 19, right, in a roster for that week, and I, I'll explain to them why. And you know what, I, I do ask them for their input on stuff like that. I do make the decision at the end, um, but I'll say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. I talk to Mike Chanichuk a lot, and I used to talk used to talk with Hawsey a lot. Um, I've been with those guys a long time, and I'm just so proud of it, of what they've become as coaches. Um, they've really, you know, watched and grow and develop. Um, and I do, you know, Mike, Mike gives me some great insights, uh, you know, particularly during games, because he can probably better articulate some of what's happening out there. Uh, you know, as a head coach, uh, you don't get to see everything all the time. Um, I miss a lot of stuff and, and those guys really help fill in the gaps for me. So it, it is, it is constant. Um, and you know, it, it's throughout the year too, Clint. I'm talking to those guys before the draft. I'm trying to get some information from the draft. Sometimes I try to get from some information on guys that were former teammates. Uh, sometimes we can even get some information that gives you the temperature of, of your opponent and how they feel as a team and, and, and what their locker room looks like. So I really do get a lot from these guys. And that is completely different from college. You just can't have these conversations like this um, and, and, and have them be this open um, in in, in give and take um, as you can with these guys. But you also, you know, there, as you said, from a professional standpoint, there is a demand on these guys. And the PLL has upped that, you know, significantly. Um, these guys have brands now, right? And they make money Do I mean, you remember the days you used to work camp from Sunday to Friday and you get paid $250, right? Now they, these guys show up for a day and they, they, they demand a, and can demand and get a great, a great wage for this. Um, and there is a piece of this where you have to remind them that, you know, what you do on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays is what allows you to do what you do from Monday through Thursday. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different dynamics with this right now that um, I think is great. But we all are learning it, too, as coaches, particularly now that we're the GMs. Yeah, the, the standard has been raised dramatically. I remember my first club game coach. Uh, it was an unseasonably warm March day. I think it was a Sunday for, I was playing for, you know, a big time club in, in, down here in Baltimore and it was really hot. I remember warming up and I was dry and come over to the bench and there's no water, but there's a keg. Uh, so you, so you learn quickly uh, about priorities in, in, in club lacrosse. Oh, no uh, question. No question. 
club was great though. I mean, I played, you know, it kept me in it for a while until I, you know, until I just didn't have the time anymore, but that was the game at the time. It, there was, yeah. it was our level of professional lacrosse. Yeah. No, I found you had to be self-sufficient to take care of, uh, of your needs and, and the support from the PLL is, is off the charts. What, so what are the speed bumps? What are the, you know, in college there, there's clear speed bumps. You have part of your team that's super into it. Another part that's not as motivated guys who have academic or social issues, guys who have issues being a team member. Uh, what are the speed bumps that that you most uh, encounter as a pro coach? Is it planes, trains, and automobiles? Is it the wife and kids? Is it uh, is it something else? You know, what 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 are the ma- major major uh, hazards that these players face? Yeah, for me personally, um, in in from what I see is, you know, there's still some guys who have nine to five, or you know, there's still Wall Street guys, there's still commercial real estate guys, right? That that's a you know, that, that's certainly a drain. Um, there's guys who uh, are doing this full time. And when you do it full time, you know, they, some of them tend to be on the field all week during the week, either recruiting or coaching or working camps in this heat. And, you know, does it give them the time to get out there and, and shoot and, and stay in shape and, and sleep and eat right? Um, you know, to make it this to make it as long as guys like Jake Bernhardt have and and Michael Earhart and Mike Chanichuk and to play at this level, it takes a consistent, you know, level of effort during the week and preparation. Um, I think we've just gone through one of those tough times. Hopefully we've survived it, right? The guys, coaches are now off the sideline for a bit and our, our players who, uh, who work with, you know, with club teams or work, work in clinics, you know, that's, that's kind of started to, 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 uh, take a back seat, but that's, you know, that's one challenge. My other biggest challenge, Quinn, is there's so many good players out there. And I got some of these young guys that we drafted, you know, for the first time, I think we had a deep and, and successful draft and I want to get those guys in and give them a chance to play. But it, when you do that, that's it. That's at the, you know, that's at the expense of someone who's been in the lineup and has had experience. And you can see with each of these guys, when they first get in the lineup, you can't expect them to come out there and, and perform right this is a this is a league that it's so different from anything they've ever done it takes a few games for them to really you know become comfortable and, and hit stride so I think all of our challenges as coaches is how do we you know how do we bring this next you know generation and level of players into the fold and give them the experience and time that they need to you know to, to help us I mean we we're just starting to be able to do it with a kid like Wheaton Jacoboys um, you know getting him into the lineup uh, and, and he's, he's really helped us, but something tends to have to happen to do that. Or we have to make a decision to, you know, maybe every once in a while to sit someone and, you know, you get, you don't get paid to sit and, you know, they want to play and you do need to build some depth in a bench and, you know, things happen, guys get hurt. I mean, last year we had, you know, Rambo, big Mike and, uh, and Zed, you know, all injured at the same time. So, you know, I think that's the, that's a challenge for us. You don't have the week of practice, right. To, to prepare guys to, you know, to step up when you need them to. Yeah. The, the college game now has grown with, with the, the growth of rosters. I mean, these teams have 50 to 60 men on the rosters pro what you, you dress 19, maybe you can travel a few, a few extra. It's people will say, well, we need to expand. There's, there's, there's more players perhaps, but the cost for the league to travel these guys and to have them attached to your team when they're not playing is significant enough to, to be detrimental to, to the bottom line. 
how, is there a solution? You know, do, do we need more player pool action? Should when the games are in Baltimore, should there be a player pool scrimmage? Should more guys be allowed to travel? Like, what's the solution for getting the you know the the guys like Keegan Khan and you mentioned Wheaton Jackaboyce and Colin mm-hmm. Hinton was was you know involved? Like, like how do you how do you better service those marginal rookie type players? Well, something that's it's really interesting, and again, it's it's a it's a byproduct of the league and who we are and where we are right now is a lot of these guys, particularly on the East Coast, and you've seen them at our practices. They they come on their own dime, right? They'll show up, and, and that there's a lot to be said for that, right? That goes a long way with with the culture and their teammates and in 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 a comfort level and getting them in there. Uh, I I have said this from the beginning. Um, you know, nineteen guys. You know. You, it's a smaller field, quick, shorter quarters. You know, the middies don't wear out like they, you know, like they would have in the MLL. But that being said, um, an injury or two in a game can, can change, you know, can tilt the field dramatically, right? Face-off guy gets hurt uh, at this level, and you have one of them, right? The, the field can tilt quickly. Your goalie goes down, and you have a backup who hasn't, you know, who hasn't seen any time, and he's young. You know, that, that, the field can tilt defenseman gets hurt and you're only dressing five now you don't have a sub you know in in some of those instances it it can change the game dramatically a game that's on tv and a lot of people are watching it so you know i I am an advocate for um you know just increasing the travel uh roster just maybe two right I, i think two would make a difference and you know they're they're paying two to stay home uh right now right so um, and it's not full pay, but they're paying two to stay home uh, who are on your 21 and your, you know, your, your game day guys that you can roll in if you needed to. I think that these guys would come and, and show up and practice and be happy to be there, uh, you know, for that, you know, for that 2021 spot pay. Um, these guys love particularly the young guys. Right. I don't know that you're going to ask a, you know, a veteran who has a family, but I think for these young guys, the experience and being around our guy, like just being around our guys and seeing how they practice um, and, and, and how they go about being professionals, right? And that's a conversation we have all the time now. Like you guys are really professionals. I think for the first time in, in all the years, you know, I, I think 2013 was the first year I was involved in pro lacrosse. Um, they are truly professionals right now and they have to be, and it, it's a different approach. Yeah. Anytime you transition in life or in sports, whether it's from middle school to high school, yeah, I was lucky enough. Greg, Greg Canelo was my, my captain when I was a freshman at Limbrook from high school to college, from college to pro or club, you, you really do look up to, to, to the veterans and their impact uh, on and off the field is, is gigantic. And, and without that direction, uh, so many guys really struggle. I, I want to ask you about two guys in particular. You mentioned Matt Rambo earlier. A- apparently, you, you've challenged Matt. I, I know a couple of years ago, you, did you did you have to bench him for for a game or two? I remember, or or, or, or decrease his playing time there for a bit. And yeah, I, I kind of like, this is this is probably you know certainly I'll tell you it's vintage Jim Stagney. I probably did something that most people wouldn't do, but I didn't like the way Matt reacted to something during a game. Yeah, and it was Matt's. Um, you know, Matt's a competitive guy and, you know, he was young um, and, and I, you know, Matt will be the first one to admit, I, I have high expectations for him. I demand of him. Um, and I've said it in, in, you know, 
he's a little bit like my son, right? He will fight me on a lot of things, but then eventually realizes, okay, maybe you're right. <laughs> um, but, you know, as a person, you know, you can't help, you know, he's a teddy bear. Um, and yeah, I, I pulled him out of a game on TV and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. And, you know, we've had, he's, he's really grown through this league, right? But he is one of the faces of the league. And, you know, you have a, uh, you have a timeline in this, right? Can, you know, how long can you make your career out of this at a high level? And, you know, I need Matt Rambo. We need Matt Rambo to be the best version of Matt Rambo. He gets pulled in a million different ways. He has a ton of different things that he has to do during the week. Uh, he's in demand. Um, but he also, you know, he, he likes to play golf. He's got his, you know, he's in, in rightfully so. So sometimes, you know, uh, uh, he's, he's one of the guys that I, I just have to have some conversations with every once in a while to hit the reset button and remind him. And, you know, also, you know, just show him the facts. Like, look, this is where you are, right? Are you, you know, you, for a long time, you, you know, for a couple of years here, you were considered the number one guy in the league. Now you have guys coming into this league who are putting an awful lot of time into their craft. And, you know, sometimes you have to adjust your schedule for the benefit of, of the team and yourself, because, you know, this is how you make your living. And, you know, he does the, the, the older Matt Rambo has more of appreciation um, for that in, in an ability to hear it and, and understand that it, it, it's coming, you know, because I have his best interest in mind. Um, and sometimes, you know, when I, when that, when that switch flips, you can see a different level of Matt Rambo and you saw one, you know, two out of the last three weeks. And, you know, sometimes you just, again, that's where the difference between college and, and pro is. In college, I could, you know, every day someone would have their thumb on him. Um, but, you know, now, um, you know, and those, like, again, those conversations aren't always easy, but I think he knows when they're coming. Um, and, you know, again, he's uh, another one I'm, I'm unbelievably proud of because of, of the way he's grown as a professional in this league. Yeah, the, the strength of this league that it is they are the players uh, from their abilities on the field to their ambassador being ambassadors off of it from uh, the strength of their character, you know, and I, and I have enormous respect for guys like on your team. I mean, basically the whole lineup, but, you know, Michael Earhart, I watch him play from field level. My gosh, I mean, it, it, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He, I haven't seen an impact like that on the defensive end. You know, I was lucky enough to play with with Dave Petromala. He, he just commands this presence. Uh, your goalie, Kyle Burnlor, uh, I have tremendous respect for, for the level of play that he, that he has had. And his numbers this season have, have spiked up again to where they were two years ago. Uh, what, what do you attribute uh, this, this, you know, this bounce back year for him uh, after, after his numbers? Maybe it's more defensively. I don't know, but, but you do know. So let, let, let's hear what, why, why do you think Kyle, uh, his numbers have, have increased this season? If I can backtrack quick to Earhart, I mean, Earhart, and you'll know this guy, and, and you'll, you'll learn, Steve Mitchell. Steve, I know. When you see him oh, on the field, I remember my first yeah. practice with Steve Mitchell. I'm like, what the heck is that? Yeah. And no, I am not going. I'm like, he's on my team. This is pretty good. And then you turn and look at Petro. I'm like, oh, we got two, we got two freaks down here. I, I, just give me four other guys who can, like, do their job. We'll be okay. So yeah, that, that range, that command, uh, you know, Michael is, is, uh, it's just it's a presence that's difficult for me to to put into words yeah and it carries over to every aspect of our team um so Kyle 
you know, you were a goalie, so you, you have, you know, you understand this. Um, it was a tough one for me because, uh, you know, I know how we all know just how good he can be and how much he had done for us up to that point. And he, you know, as I, I, in real time, I wasn't seeing it quite as well, but I knew that, you know, in the back of my mind, it was there. We weren't playing very good defense. We really weren't. In the middle of the field, our middies, you know, Jake Bernhardt did not have a great year. Um, we didn't have, you know, we lost uh, Ty Warner for the year. Um, we just, you know, we, we did not, um, I didn't realize till the end of the year how banged up uh, Bryce Young was. Timmy Muller, uh, you know, did not have a good year. It would not, you know, had not prepared like he had in the past. You know what we got? We got a little complacent, something we always talk about, right? You, you don't, you know, what's happened in the past is, you know, is, is just that it's happened in the past. You know, you don't, you don't learn from, from success as much as you learn from failure. And we hadn't failed very much. And, you know, at times we looked like it last year. I just don't think we played the kind of defense in front of Kyle that we had in the past. And, you know, Kyle lost his confidence. Um, he, some things, again, I'm not a goalie coach and I never claimed to be, but some things snuck into his, his game and, and because he had lost his confidence um, and we weren't doing a very good job in front of him. Uh, but that being said, I told him all along, I know this isn't you. And, you know, he was so worried about his, you know, his future and letting people down and, I, I told him all along, you will be the guy when we come back to training camp. I, I, you are, I am there. There's no doubt in my mind that you will be the guy. And this is one of those times where I had to have a lot of those conversations. I, you know, Timmy Muller's having a great year. Timmy Muller's the, the straw that stirs our defense. And Timmy Muller's a guy who really directs it, communicates. He does all the things that nobody, you know, nobody really appreciates or recognizes. And Timmy had to, had to recommit and tough conversations um, Bryce had to get healthy. He had, you know, pretty major surgery in the off season. You know, Dunner was pretty solid all year as he always is. Um, but he had an injury, you know, Mike was hurt. Um, you know, we, uh, we weren't, we weren't as efficient on the offensive end. So there was a lot of things that maybe a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't consider that played into Kyle's, you know, dropping off last year, but he came back to camp. We were better in front of him. Um, not that he doesn't always prepare, because I know he does. Uh, he changed his schedule, uh, and you know, again, he's a we're professionals now. He took some things off of his calendar and came in, and, and you know, has been, you know, has been the Kyle that, that we have counted on. Kyle saves our asses a lot. You know, he makes the ones he's supposed to, and he steals a couple. And last year, he wasn't stealing any. Yeah, he, he's really good. The Whip Snakes play the Atlas on Friday, ESPN Plus. It should be a good game. I got time. For, you got time for two more questions, coach? Sure. Yep. Uh, one's going to be about Tony Seaman at Penn and the other's going to be about your son. Let's let's start with uh, let's start with Matt, because because okay. he kind of lived the dream that 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 I would like to come back and, and be reincarnated. You know, he, he got that Hopkins lacrosse experience, got the degree and then he went to Jacksonville uh, and played yeah. like he had a great time. He was highly productive. And it, it shows the, the virtues of the transfer portal and the virtues of a, a young man who's looking to maximize his, his experience. And in a lot of ways, I'm jealous. 
how, how would you describe uh, th that arc and and uh, you know that 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 was uh, what became a, a super ending? Yeah, I, I mean, two you know is someone who was you know who was in it all their lives. Um, I really just wanted him to end his career uh, in in you know in love a game that is you know that, that our whole family has has been involved in for you know for all of our, our youth and adult lives. And he did get the best of both worlds. He loved the guys at Hopkins. He had a great experience. Um, he grew significantly under David um, as, you know, as a person, uh, Coach Petramala. Um, the joke in our house is it's hard to believe. My wife and I both went to Penn. My daughter's a, a broadcast, you know, an entertainment journalist. She went to GW, but Matthew's the highest educated person in our family with a master's, right? He goes to, uh, he goes to, to Jacksonville, he lives on the beach, which you know, he loves, um, and he moves to a position that he has never played at attack, has a great year, comes out of there with a Masters, um, you know, a, a real love and appreciation of the game, uh, sees it from two different sides, uh, a pressure-packed environment, and then one that's a little bit more, you know, kind of ba balanced and laid back and, you know, really in, in some regard thrives in both one just you know growing up in, in, in learning and developing humility and in the other one um, you know coming into a, a program and in, in for one year and kind of being able to take on a, a leadership role and, and make a whole different set of friends uh, three of them were here this weekend you know it's how I know Colin Hinton uh, you know now Matt is in lacrosse. He lives in Newport Beach. He started, you know, he started the, the uh, uh, Mad Dog program there in, in uh, Orange County. Um, he's really good at it. Uh, he's been around it all his life, and you know, it's 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 paying rewards, you know, for him. And uh, I, you know, again, it was uh, it's a journey, right? And there was there was certainly um, he learned a lot from from failures and missteps, but I, you know, I believe that. Uh, he is who he is today because of all the teams that he's been around that I coached and from the guys he was around at Hopkins. And he has so many different perspectives, as you know, right? You're around this game your, your whole life. There's, um, there's a lot of twists and turns in it, but he's, he's got to experience a lot of them. Finish with some ancient history. Uh, Tony Seaman was my middle school soccer coach. He was my ninth grade social studies teacher. He took the CW Post job, I believe, when I was in maybe eighth grade. I remember I had him last period social studies at Limbrook High School, and, and he would get in his car and drive up to Post. Uh, I believe he coached there for two years before heading over to Penn. But as at Limbrook High School, we, we also had Paul Wareham mm -hmm. coaching and Larry Glenn's. So it, luckily, I backed into this incredible pool of, of, of coaching talent. But we would take a trip every year to Penn and play a Philadelphia team for our spring break. And, and I played on Franklin field in 83 before your Navy game. Yep. And uh, which was the worst game of my career. I was a ninth grader. I was a backup goalie that, that, that portion of the year, they put me in the game late. My brother's Navy team. He had graduated in 82, but I knew all the guys in the 83 team. They're standing behind the goal. I was, they were getting ready to warm up. I have never been so, I gave up four straight goals. They had to pull me late in the game. And thank, thankfully we won. We come back the next year and play Hill. I think we won eight to nothing. Uh, Chris Flynn may have been on that team. I'm I'm, I'm not positive, but but you you were a part of uh, that era of Penn lacrosse, which then segued into Tony's arrival 
and that great run in 1988 with with a guy that I know well from wrestling, John Canaris. Yep. Uh, what was that? What was that portion of your lacrosse like life? Uh, life like? You know, Tony's had a huge impact in you know he shows up my junior year and really kind of changed the whole you know, the whole environment around Penn lacrosse and, and expectation. And just, you know, we go 83 and 84, um, we win the Ivies both of those years and go to the NCAA tournament, right? That was out of nowhere um, with a, with a small group, a small, a, a small roster of guys who, this is where I really learned about team, right? Maybe it took me a little longer to put it all together but you know we were truly a team and Tony you know Tony built that Tony knew how to maximize everybody's individual talents right to get people to do those things I mean he made Zach Zach Colburn was like three-time world team player he was a crease defenseman right um you know Tony Josh Hall Leo Paytas you know Tony got the best out of everyone and he got everyone to believe you know as much as he was of a coach he was you know, he, he got people to believe. And, you know, then I, I, I'm, I'm moved to Albany and I'm, I'm working for New York state assembly and I'm coaching at Hudson Valley community college. And I'm, I'm getting ready to sit down for my, in my LSATs and go to law school. And Tony calls me and I, you know, I, I drop everything and go to Penn. Right? And I'm lucky, fortunate enough to be on, you know, coach that 80, you know, 88 and 89 team. So I'm back with him again. And, and it was, you know, I'm go. You know, it's where my wife and I. She was an undergrad, and I was an undergrad. But you know, at that now she's my wife. We she was associate AD at the time. So, you know, that changes uh, kind of the trajectory of my my career. Then we have those two great those two great years, and I'm 26, 20, 26 years old, and I get the job at you know WNL, which was a big job at that time. And I get 12 years there, and you know, he's always. You know, he's always had an impact. He brings me. You know, when I leave Rutgers, he brings me to to Denver. Right, which gives me a whole different experience. I get to spend a couple great years there with him, again. So, you know, he's he has longevity in this, and it's something that I think you know I learned from. He has longevity because he stays connected. You know, it, it, I had dinner with him in Florida this year, and you know, he's in his seventies, and he's a winning high school championship still down there. Is his ability still to communicate and and stay current and and get people to do things that maybe they, they never thought they could do. And I really have tried to embrace that. And I tell the pro guys all the time, and it's really come from Tony, right? Here's the thing, guys, my expectations of you are higher than yours are. And I'm going to push you until I think you're, you know, you're, you're, you're getting to where I believe you can be. And that was Tony all the time. He probably did a lot in a much more subtle way than I did, but he, you know, he has impacted so many people's lives and God, he's taken, I mean, he's taken three teams to the final four, three different colleges. Nobody's ever done that. People don't realize it. No, I know. And, and even now, even now you, you think about the bookends of his career, what he did in, in, in our town of, of Limbrook to build, to build that program and what he's doing now in Florida at St. Andrews, the bookend seems less, less significant from, from the, you know, the, his resume in between Penn Hopkins, Taos and pro coach, like th there, there's uh there's a lot there. No question. And he, you know what, he did a lot of that and, and I'm going to, I'm going to discount Hopkins, but he did a lot of it with, with inferior talent. Um, you know, again, it, it, it Penn, we were a ragtag bunch and he got us to believe and we played that zone and we gave up the least number of goals in the country. And we did that, you know, the, he brought all those basketball concepts yeah. in four corners and, 
you know, we full field road with, you know, when no one was doing that. All, he, he brought so much to the game that people don't realize, you know, because the way his mind works in, in his, you know, his basketball, he brought that basketball philosophy to, you know, to lacrosse. Yeah, always innovating. Uh, the, the zone, the zone was was innovative for the time, and and uh, and it, it's really what made him. Ari was never afraid to do something a little different. Nope. Well, thank you, Coach. Good luck this weekend in Salt Lake. I'll see you out there Friday night. We got a doubleheader. You guys are up first, I believe, on ESPN Plus. Yep. Safe travels. Uh, really appreciate your time, and, and look forward to seeing you this weekend as the PLL heads west. My pleasure. Thanks, Quinn. Thanks, Coach. <laughs>